Well, hey, we're going to keep it a little bit short today, but part two of Colossians, grab a Bible, we're going to jump right in. Uh, If you missed last week, it was our first part of the series. We looked at just the beginning of getting ready for maturity. One of the things you see throughout the book of Colossians is this idea of being mature in Christ, being rooted in Christ, being established in Christ. In fact, 15 times in the whole book, you see this phrase, in Christ, or in Jesus, or in God. And we said there's this banner over all of Colossians of the supremacy of Christ, and we want to see ourselves grow up into Jesus. And that's what Paul begins to affirm as we get right into it today. We're going to look at marks of maturity, marks of maturity that Paul prays and affirms some of the marks of maturity he already sees in the Colossian believers. So we're going to look at those things as well today. Our first point is this, if you take notes. This first mark of maturity is praise and prayer. We see this from Paul in verse 3. It says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So again, if you did miss last week, just to kind of set this up for you, uh, the we in that passage is Paul and Timothy. Paul is the author of this letter to the Colossians. Uh, Timothy is alongside him as a helper to him. But Paul had never been to Colossae. Uh, This is a fairly new church. We think maybe three to four years old. It's about 100 miles from Ephesus. So that's the book of Ephesians. A lot of similarities between Colossians and Ephesians. And uh, Paul had never been to Colossae, but he'd been in Ephesus proclaiming the gospel over and over. You see that in the book of Acts. And this guy, Epaphras, heard the gospel, understood the gospel, believed the gospel, hearing it in Ephesus, goes back to his hometown of Colossae, founds this church at Colossae. We see that in chapter 4. Paul says about Epaphras that he is one of them, one of the Colossians. And so Paul had never been there, but he writes this letter as an apostle sent by God to help these new believers mature in Christ. And Epaphras is on the ground reporting back and forth with Paul. So you'll hear things even in this passage like Paul will say, hey, I heard about your faith. I heard about your love, because he'd never been there in person, but he has this amazing affection for these people, and he prays for them, and we get some insight into what he prays and really how he prays. If you look at the text with me, the first thing you see is he prays frequently. It says he prays always. The second thing, he prays thankfully. He thanks God, And, and some background on this, Paul is in a Roman prison when he writes this, and he's saying we always thank God. Now, you have to put yourself in the Colossians' shoes. They didn't have it easy. They were new believers, new church, setting up and tearing down on a Sunday, right? Sure, maybe, okay, maybe not. Um, New challenges as a new church, new believers trying to find their way in this new movement of Christianity. Some Old Testament to go off of, some tradition to go off of, but also some heresy that was coming after them. We talked about this last week too. Gnosticism, uh, Jewish legalism, and a lot of people who thought, hey, you guys might be heretics. We're not sure Jesus is God. And they're trying to figure out their way in all of this. Not only that, Paul's not with them as they read this. Right? They're just reading this as a letter, most likely publicly where everybody can hear. But, but these words may be encouraging, but Paul's not with them. And they have this new guy, Epaphras. He just met Jesus himself. And so they have a lot of challenges. But Paul has more. Right? They're not in prison. Paul is. 
They're not confined to a, a closed space with no community to speak of. Paul is. And you've got to imagine, as they read this, we always thank God. Paul says, we always thank God. It would have been enough for Paul to say, we thank God for you, right? But always, Paul? Really? Hey, do you know people like that in your life? You think you kind of have it rough. You have some challenges, some difficulties in your life, and maybe you're venting about that, complaining about that in your life, and then you go to talk to somebody else, and you realize very quickly they have it way worse, but they're way more grateful. Don't you just love those people? Right, we get bitter against people like that because we're like, really, Paul, you're in prison, and we always, we always thank God? I don't know if I'm thanking God for the situation I'm in. But listen, we need people like this in our lives. The Colossians needed Paul to speak this truth into their lives, to model thankfulness, gratefulness. That once we get past our bitterness, we can be thankful and realize if Paul can be thankful in prison, I can be thankful in my situation. So Paul prays frequently. He prays thankfully. And then he prays specifically. Notice, he prays to the God, the Father. He prays to the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives them titles. Right? I don't know how you pray, but sometimes we'll say, Dear God, Father in heaven, Heavenly Father, God, help. However you pray, Paul prays specifically. And all those will work, but you need to have a good understanding, a good theology when you pray. And Paul does. But he addresses God as Father. This is who you are. You care about us like a father cares for his kids. Jesus Christ wasn't just a man, which is very important as we get into the book of the Bible and some of the heresy they were facing. Jesus Christ wasn't just a man. He is Lord. That word Lord means he's an owner. He's an owner typically of property, would be a Lord in that day. But, but Jesus is Lord over all of the earth. He's preeminent. And so he owns everything. All of creation is his house. So Paul is praying specifically to God the Father, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows who God is, and he approaches him as such. Oswald Chambers said this, The meaning of prayer is that we get a hold of God, not the answer. So if we're going to get a hold of God through prayer, we have to know who God is. And we see that in this short example from Paul. And notice Paul in this prayer, he thanks God as he prays for people. This is a trend you're going to see all throughout this passage. Verse 3 kicks this off. Paul thanks God and he prays for people. We're going to see in the next point that uh, we have faith in Jesus Christ. We have love for all the saints. We'll see in the last point we have a, a hope in heaven, but we've learned about that through Epaphras. That we're going to see in maturing in Christ that it always includes God and people. And Paul kicks that off just as he starts this prayer. And we see that best in our second point, which is faith and love. So we have praise and prayer and then faith and love. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So again, Try to put yourself in these shoes. They've heard about this faith. They've heard about this love. What kind of faith, what kind of love would you hear about? What kind of faith and love would Epaphras report back that you 
would hear about. You know, we, we talk a lot about faith. We talk a lot about love. Even in our culture, even if you don't know Jesus, like you got to have faith, right? George Michaels started that a long time ago, right? But, but it's this idea of sort of wishful thinking faith, right? What, what kind of faith does Paul hear about? Is it wishful thinking? Is it contemplative faith? You think he would hear about that and see that in the Colossian believers? I think it would have been more. We get a hint of that in Hebrews 11. Faith, biblically, is associated with words like assurance and conviction, not wishful thinking. The faith that Paul would have heard about is assurance, is conviction in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see is that faith, when it's embraced, it leads to a love displayed. Again, what kind of love do you think he would have heard about? Would he have heard about people who said, hey, I, I love you? Would he have heard about people saying, hey, I have some desires, I mean, some feelings of love? No, he would have heard about movement. One thing we say a lot in our church is love moves. It never stands still. That The love of Jesus moved him to earth to live, die, and resurrect. It moves us out to declare and demonstrate the love of Jesus to everyone. We know that love moves And so if Paul's hearing about faith, it's assurance, it's conviction. If he's hearing about love, it's a love that moves, that's impacting people's lives. And we need to get that straight because there's a lot of other false examples of faith and love in our culture today. I was listening to something online. It was actually a church, and it was talking about how they have online church, and they have e-groups that you can get in, and you don't even have to be in the same room. You don't even have to know the people, but you can love one another. They even talked about you can take communion with one another, which I thought, I don't know how that works. But in our day, we have so much uh, false, lacking examples of, of faith and love that love could be you click a button on Facebook, right? That, that love could be you just say, hey, well wishes to you, sending good vibes your way. That love could be lots of things. You don't even have to be in the same room. You don't even have to know someone. You don't have to do something for someone to love them. You need to know that's not the biblical example of love. That Jesus says this, that you will know my disciples by the way they love one another. That we see love as sacrificial. Love is action. Love is a verb. You do have to be in the same room with people. You do have to know them. And step out in faith and show that love to them. And we see these things are are connected. Faith embraced leads to this kind of love displayed. Uh, I've used this before. I just think it's the best way to explain it. That I'm a dad and I have three little kids. Uh, And if you were to come to me and say, hey, Tim, I really like you. I love hanging out with you. Like, you're a great guy. Like, I wish we could hang out more. But your kids, I can't stand them. I mean, just the way they look. The faces they give me, I mean, every once in a while, your two-year-old, she cries. That kind of annoys me. I want to hang out with you. You're great. Love hanging out with you. Pastor Tim, you're awesome. But, hey, could you just leave your kids behind? Like, I can't stand them. Now, are we going to hang out? No. Why? Because there's no separation. You get me you get my kids. You get me as a dad, you get my kids, right? There's, there's no separation. Same way for God the Father with his kids, with you, with the church. 
that many times what we try to do is we, t- we take faith embraced and we never lead to love displayed. And what Paul is saying is that there's a faith in Jesus and a love. They're not separated. So the idea of I, I like Jesus but I don't like the church never works in Scripture. I like God, but church is kind of messy. I want to kind of ease my way into that, pace myself, cautious with the people because they might hurt me. They're a little messy. But God, we're, we're okay. And God would say the same thing that I would say to you about my kids. You, you get me, you get my kids. There's no separation. That faith embraced leads to love displayed. That's how it works. That's how it was designed, and that's our second mark of maturity. Um, yesterday, I was at a, an air show out west, um, and we got to see the Blue Angels. Uh, I think for the first time in like 15 years, something like that, they were here in Phoenix. And if you've ever seen them, it's amazing. There's six planes. They fly all in coordination with one another. They do all kinds of tricks. They all end up back together. They fly upside down, but they get really close to each other. They never hit. It's this massive coordinated thing. It's an amazing piece of art that you get to see in the sky and just look up and and watch. And so I'm there with my kids, and we're watching this, and it's amazing, and we're all like, wow, look, oh, man, that's crazy. It was amazing. And, and I thought of, as I was getting ready for today, I thought of, you know why this is so amazing to us? It's because we never see anything like that in life, right? The reason we're so amazed at this art of these planes just flying so smoothly together next to each other, they didn't clip their wings, right? Their engines didn't fail. It was all smooth, coordinated, perfect, And I thought, the reason we think that's so amazing is because life is not like that. And we're looking for something like that because we know life doesn't work out that way. Especially relationships. Like, I think for some of us, the reason we say, like, I I love Jesus, but I'm not so sure about the church. Or I'm going to stay distant from the church and keep my distance is because it's hard. That loving people is hard. Can we just be honest in church today? I'm a pastor, and I can say to you, loving people is hard, right? Because unlike the blue angels, we are clipping each other's wings, right? Our engine is cluttered with caffeine and social media, right? Our paint is chipping away with brokenness. We're not a coordinated, smooth effort going through the sky. No, we butt up against each other. Our personalities, our preferences, our sin, our brokenness, and we clip each other's wings just to keep with that plane analogy. And so a lot of times we say, that's just too hard. It's too hard to love people. But but you know what's more amazing than that coordinated effort that's perfect and unblemished in the Blue Angels? What's more amazing than that is that when we take our clipped wings, our chip paint, our messiness of our relationships, our defending and our deflecting, is when we take all of that and we still say we want to have a love that is displayed, that it's unconditional, that we still want to fly together. We don't abandon each other when it gets hard. We still go together, all jacked up, all broken, but the love of Jesus moves us back together. That's more amazing. 
another thing we say is that the, we are imperfect people that have been moved by the perfect love of Jesus. You need to know, if you're new this morning, we are way less spiritual than we look. Right? There's brokenness in this room. We're not here because we all like each other. We're here because we love each other, and we've been moved by the perfect love of Jesus. That unites us, and we see that. That's a beautiful picture, and that helps us mature in Jesus Christ. Later in verse 8, you see this phrase, love in the spirit. That this type of love, because it is so hard, is only possible with the Holy Spirit. That it's a supernatural love. That, that the love of Jesus indwells us, and that's the way we're able to love other people like this. So if you think loving people is hard, like loving my family is hard, much less strangers, much less the church. Well, yeah, it is. Because you can only do it in the spirit. It's a supernatural love. And so the question is, how do we get that kind of love? If we want to have faith embraced, love displayed, if we want to grow in that, in our maturity, how do we get that supernatural love? Look at verse 5. We see our third point, hope and truth. Verse 5, notice that word because in verse 5. It says this faith and love is the result of hope. Another translation puts it this way, this faith and love spring forth from hope. And so you might have heard about this. Paul talks about this a lot. There's, there's faith, hope, and love. It's a triad that Paul talks about a lot in, in regard to a mature believer in Christ. And in this passage, he says there's a faith, there's a love, and it's a result of hope. Right? And so if you can just picture that, you have faith and love, and you have hope as the foundation. That's what allows us to have this kind of supernatural love, and look at the text again with me. It says, verse 5, this hope has been laid up for you in heaven. That phrase laid up is in the perfect tense. Uh, what that means is this is something that has been completed in the past, laid up, but has effects in the present and in the future. And so this hope has been laid up in heaven for you. It's already been completed. It's not contingent on something happening in the future. It's been completed in the past, but you get to experience it now and anticipate it for the future. That's the kind of hope that leads to this kind of faith and love. And that's something here that Paul talks about, verse 5 through 7, is the word of truth, the gospel. Paul says it's bearing fruit and growing. The Colossians have heard, understood, and learned this gospel that's already been accomplished, perfect tense, in the past for them, that they get to experience this hope in the present tense uh, and in the future. And that gospel, if you're new to church, is the truth that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for your sin. Every sin you've ever committed to give you forgiveness and to grant you eternal life. And so it's this truth that is paired with this hope that makes it something completed in the past that we get to experience now and look forward to in the future. Do you know this kind of hope? Do you walk in this kind of hope? Do you even see hope this way, as a weighted hope, a fixed hope, an immovable hope? Or do you see hope as just something you're always grasping after, a contingent hope? Something needs to happen. If I get this job, then I'll have some hope. If I get this money, if I get this house, then I'll have some hope. Do you see hope as contingent, or do you see hope as completed? If hope is the foundation 
for how we love, how we have faith, that we have to get this hope right. And Paul pairs it as hope and truth. You see, we all want hope. And to be truthful, we all need hope. Like, our world needs hope. We all need hope to survive. But we don't just need a contingent hope. We, we need the completed hope. Because if we just look for the contingent ones and we think, I mean, if I can just get that person to like me, if I can just get in shape, if I can just get my spouse to see it my way, if we can just get that guy elected, if we just grasp after those hopes, their moving targets will never be satisfied or founded in a hope. That if we're always chasing contingent hopes and not resting in the completed one, we won't be able to love other people. You know this in your life. If you're always chasing after the status, the position, the appearance, the addiction, the approval, if that is your hope, this moving target, this contingent hope, you will be consumed with yourself, right? Like some of you, you're, you're believers. You, you know intellectually the hope you have. It is laid up in heaven. It's secured. It's completed in the past. You get to experience it now. You know that, but you find yourself during the week just like a non-believer who didn't even know Jesus would, chasing after that appearance, that approval, that addiction. And you can't love other people like that. Right, Paul makes this pairing intentionally because faith and love are founded on a completed hope, not a contingent hope. And so if we, if we never rest in the completed hope of Jesus Christ, that we are accepted, forgiven, that our hope has already been laid up for us, then we'll never be able to love other people. Why? We're too busy trying to find hope for ourselves. How could we ever think we could love a world who's looking for the same hope in same ways that we are? It's only when we rest and walk in this completed hope that we are freed up. I have my hope. It's already done. It's completed in the past. I have it in the present. I'm looking forward to it in the future. So now I'm able to love you. I'm freed up to love you. Our faith and love is is founded on hope. And it's when we get this that we can love people well, that it springs forth in our life. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to respond to this truth to see uh, this prayer and praise, this love and faith, this hope and truth take shape in our life. Uh, I I want our church to grow in maturity. I I want us to be known for radical love. We talk about that a lot. Uh, But if we're going to be a people who are known for radical, unconditional love, we have to have a hope that's rooted, that's, that's founded in truth. It's founded in the gospel. And so a simple question as we close today, what contingent hopes are you chasing? What contingent hopes are you chasing after, grasping after, that if you're honest, they're stunting your maturity? They're not only stunting your maturity, they're limiting your love. That if you're honest, you say, I'm just chasing after the same things everybody else is chasing after, and and I'm not able to love people. It is really hard to do that? Could it be that you're chasing after contingent hopes, the the same ones that the world is chasing after? What are those for you? Maybe it is appearance. Maybe it is approval. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's something else that you're chasing after. You need to acknowledge that if we're going to love people like Paul calls us to. 
You see, all other hopes are contingent. Biblical hope is completed. And the amazing thing today as we respond to this is that's true for you. That's available to you today. We need to turn from our contingent hopes, turn to the completed hope in Jesus, rest in that, walk in that, build our lives on that, and then we can love, as Paul said. And so take a moment now, let's pray together, and let's consider that truth and see what what ways do we need to turn from that contingent hope to a completed hope this morning. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you just, just as we look briefly at this passage that we can see faith, hope, and love. You say other places in your word that the greatest of these is love. God, I want to be known in my life for love. I want our church to be known for love. But we have to get this hope right. We have to get our our faith in you right first to love like this. Because it's messy. It's hard. It's hard to love our spouse, much less our neighbor. And so, God, I pray in this moment we would just respond to this truth. We would see What are you calling us to repent of, to turn away from? And how can we turn to this hope that's already been completed for us? God, I pray that you would just give us a moment, soften our hearts. Clear out the chaos of our mind, of our week, and help us to fix our eyes, to build our lives on the hope that's already been accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. To live that way and to love that way. Father, we need your help. We need your spirit to move supernaturally, even in this moment. So I pray that you would do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.